This is Comet Picks by The Glick. Hey, and I'm your host, Jason Glick. Hey, Jason. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, John. How about you? Awesome. Good, good, good. Ah, so what's going on in the world of Glick? Oh, well, it's like, as you, as everyone has probably realized by the time they listen to this, like, we have got another superhero movie coming out um, on, this, on, the, on the subsequent Friday. Yeah, we've got um, Iron Man 3 um, com- coming out. Now, I've heard good things about it. We're certainly looking forward to seeing Looking forward to seeing it when it comes out over the weekend, and you know it's like because we got the, the, like, the movie coming out, it's time to do like another like um, podcast um, related, uh, you know, talk about like the comics related to it. Now, even though it's like the movie itself draws from a spe- draws from a specific storyline, not just the uh, you know, like it draws from Warren Ellis and um, Addie Gradenhoff's Extremis storyline, which is a fantastic story, and I highly recommend everyone check check out. Um, I am like. Decided to devote this um, podcast to talking about a particular run of the series, um, one that I've um, been talking about for quite some time. This is basically um, the Matt Fraction Salvador Larocca run that's been running since the original Iron Man came out. Now, like I talked about this like you know, a couple of years back, and I've also written up you know, almost you know every volume that they've done since then. But um, they've, cause like, you know, every volume, um, for better or for worse, has brought something um, interesting to the table. And they've also, like, you know, crafted one, probably one of the most high-profile and distinctive runs on the, uh, featuring Tony Stark uh, in the subsequent years. Now, the series can be, their run can basically be broken up into two, um, basic, two distinct parts. You've got, well, it's called the, um, the World's Most Wanted Era and then the, uh, in the modern um, Heroes, like, um, Heroic Age Era. Because... Um, because when the initial, because when the initial, when the initial series launched in the wake of the, the original, original the first movie, um, I um fraction threw, threw out a storyline called um, Five Nightmares. Basically, had um you know Tony Stark in the current continuity, basically as director of Shield, taking down a uh, like an opponent, um, Ezekiel Stane, son of Obadiah Stane, played by Jeff Bridges in the original movie, and I'm um, also and you know, I'm basically I'm taking an attack on modern modern day terrorism right there, so. So I mean, you've got like, and and also um, you rejiggered um, supporting cast to focus on um, you know, familiar supporting characters such as Pepper Potts, it's like and and um and also um Maria Hill from you know from who was a big deal, who still is a big deal in the uh, it's like in the modern Shield, like um Shield continuity. Anyway, you've got anyway you had that that main storyline that basically had you know like Tony reacting to a stain. Um, waging a waging a war of terror on his on his assets and just showing you showing you the extent to which what um, Tony Stark would go to in order to um, protect his protect his people and protect his um, intellectual property. Basically, that involved just, you know like um, completely um, sabotaging and wiping the Stark data spine in order to keep Ezekiel Stane from doing from doing it himself. And you know it was a it was a good entertaining story and then it and then it segued into. Um, but the, at the same time, though, the uh, whole um, secret invasion um, crossover is happening when scrolls were attacking the Marvel Universe, and um, Tony Stark, as director of Shield, couldn't protect it. But hey, Norman Osborn um, could, and as soon as he, and when he did, um, Tony Stark was basically forced out of his position in Shield. Stark, I know, now Osborn formed Hammer, and um, and um, Tony Stark um, basically uh, looked behind a nice parting gift, saying, "Hey, you know." You know that whole um, like superhero database, like you know that which you could use to find out um, Spider-Man's secret identity. Is it any of all the superheroes? Nope, completely wiped it, and it's and um, 
And so, and, and rather than letting you get get your hands on, capture me and get your hands on all of my um, proprietary knowledge, I'm going to go ahead and wipe my brain and um, let you and um, let you deal with the consequences. That leads to, leads to probably what is probably the most successful storyline in the Salvador in the Fraction um, LaRocca run, um, World's Most Wanted, which is basically Tony Stark, fugitive. Um, he, like Stark, basically um, initiates a procedure to wipe his mind with the help of uh, Maria Hill and Pepper Potts. Because, you know, because if he, because if um, Osborne gets his hands on this information in his mind, just rips it from him, like he's going to be able to just, you know, rule the world just with all the like, repulsive tech and everything. But, and so it's like, and, and so it's like this whole, this whole like um, storyline managed to create, create a nice bit of escalating tension in the fact that, that you know, even though Stark begins the storyline, as just, you know, like, you know, the Tony Stark we all know and love from the movies and the comic book series, he's constantly, it's, we're constantly dealing with like the, um, the back half of um, Flowers for Algernon, in the sense that he's getting um, dumber and remembering less and less of what he knows. Basically to the point where uh, he's just kind of, he's almost a mental invalid at the very at the very end of it, um, just piloting the original um, Iron Man Mark Zero, um, the one that he the one he made in the caves back in the day when he was um, captured by terrorists. Now it's uh, th- like um, World's Most Wanted is a um, like I said it's a great tense storyline that that you that that shows you like what the links with Tony Stark will go to protect his proprietary technology and also safeguard the interests of those. Um, close to it, but also at the same time shows you, like, you know, he is not above just, you know, indulging in his own personal, um, like, you know, personal indulgences, just, um, you know, like he managed to bed both, both Marie Hill and Pepper Potts, like, in the same storyline. And of course, you know, like, there's consequences for that, but at the same time, like I said, it's a great, it's a great tense action storyline that, that culminates in, um, in the fourth volume, Stark symbol. Because Tony Stark's um, attempt to wipe his, wipe his mind and um, protect himself from Norman Osborn's um, like interests is ultimately successful. I mean, that's not really like a spoiler because you know, hey, that's going to happen. I mean, that's if if like uh, you know if if um, Osborn won, you know, that would be the end of the character right there. But like, um, Circus Assembled is a great, um, entertaining storyline. I have to check and see if I'm contradicting myself here at some point, but. It was, but it was also cool because it also brought in a lot of um, other um, characters. Basically, like um, you had to bring in um, like Thor and Captain America, and just also determine you know whether or not do we even want to bring Tony Stark back, um, back to um, back into the world after all he's done in the Civil War era, just you know, and also just like as being the figurehead for you know superheroes registering and everything. So, so that's and so it's like so like Stark's disassemble is a great uh, examination of that. And you're just like, what? You know, do we want to bring do we want to bring Stark back? You know, of course we do, because otherwise, you know, that'd be the end of the character right there. And also, just you know, Tony Stark working out his own mental guilt about you know what he's done over the past past couple of years. So I mean, like those four, those four volumes right there contain like you know one nice um big big story that just basically has um fraction pushing against the status quo from the from the initiative, the dark reign, the dark reign, and the siege eras from Marvel comics. So. You've got, so I mean, like those four volumes right there, and you know, I, I tell a nice story that, that you know, even though it's mired in Marvel continuity, um, kind, um, tell the, like I said, it's it tells a good, good coherent, coherent story that from from, from front to back. Pro- problem in the fun begins when we get into the um the post, like the post siege era, the the heroic age. Now, 
this is when um, this is when Fractionado doesn't have a status quo to push against. This is when he's got you know that he's left to his own devices and you know just to do whatever he wants with Tony Stark. And on one hand, that's that can be interesting. At the same time, though, it's produced probably what is the worst storyline I've read, um, like with superheroes in the past year. Um, so that's so that's that's kind of bad as well. But you know, you got um, the two volumes of Stark Resilient, where st- where Tony um, goes and um, you know builds like the car of the future. Which you know, if you've read Wildcats um, 3.0 by by Joe Casey, I mean, I highly recommend it. You know that any that any a superhero trying to um, forge the path of the future will have you know his first agenda is going to have like you know, a car that you know like will will be run free of gas and you know. Any any kind of influences, but at the same time, though, the storyline basically all Stark Resilient introduces um two two villains who I think um, are kind of terrible, and as like you know we run on 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 concentrated smugness. That would be um um Sasha and Justine Hammer. Now, now um Justin Hammer was um one of um Tony's um, most fearsome foes back in the day, and so you know bringing back you know like the daughters and also like you know the female versions. Of these heroes is kind of you know, a nice solid way of you know like continuing that legacy, but at the same time though I think this is probably one of the biggest um, flaws in his runs that they that Fraction never really um, gives these um, characters like a dimension beyond smugness. I mean, um, I mean Justine is kind of like, you know the, like the brains of the option like the tactical planning and like you know the long long term you know what what do we need in order to make what do we need in order to fuck Tony Stark over and you know, what. How do we how do we make that work? And um, Sasha is kind of the the impulsive, you know. Hey, I've got the superpowers. I'm going. I I think we just go ahead and take you know take Tony Stark out now and embarrass him in public, um, type type of approach. But at the same time, they're they're not very likable. And um, at the same time, though, like, any joy any joy in entertainment that comes from these characters, basically comes from just seeing them lose or just you know be um, be stymied in in some fact. I mean, at the same time, you know, seeing Sasha um, get roofied and um, like be at the mercy of um, former Detroit Steel pilot um, in um, in Long Way Down, and yeah, that's that's kind of bad. I mean, just seeing seeing the female character like you know be at the mercy of a male male character is kind of like it's not good. But at the same time, though, I, I couldn't I could help but but take some sort of vicarious enjoyment saying, yeah, yeah, Sasha, you're losing right now because I uh, you know. I could I could not muster up any likability, or, or just like you know interest in her character. Just seeing her lose by any means possible was more than enough right there. I mean that's, I'd say that's that that's that's on fraction right there, and that's kind of like the um that's kind of the problem with the uh, the second half of his run because he's kind of like, it's like left to his own devices. Um, fraction doesn't fraction is kind of show kind of like winging it for lack of a better word. I mean um, the two volumes of Stark Resilient, um. You know, basically, it shows Tony Stark working on like you know the car of the future, and also you know giving giving her pots back her her repulsor unit so she can become like superhero um known as rest rescue. Then you've got um the uh, storyline. Then you got the collection on my monsters, which um basically is um fractions pitch towards um his take on the Mandarin like which is Tony Stark's arch villain played by Ben Kingsley in the new movie. So, thing about um the Mandarin so I never. Th- Bought the Mandarin as you know Tony Stark's arch villain because you know for Tony for uh, for Stark to be um, have a real arch villain he, like Iron Man has always been to represent the future or the bleeding edge of technology interesting and, and he also represent being used in the right way 
the, the Mandarin kind of represents a uh, weird, bizarre sci-fi yellow scare version of that with his rings that can you know, um, influence people's minds and warp reality in the way that he wants. And I don't think that really represents um, you know, like the right villain for Tony Stark. The right villain for Tony Stark would be someone who basically um, uses um, technology in his own way to just, you know, to, um, to basically manipulate the future in his, control the future in his own manner. So I think that, you know, the right villain for Tony Stark would be like, you know, a guy who basically, um, you know, creates like an android version of himself that just, like, you know, wants to be like a, a crazy robot future that, you know, like devoid of human human interaction. That would be the great, great villain for Tony Stark, but no one's done it yet. Um, but the Mandarin, you know, everyone views him as like, as the um, Iron Man's um, definitive foe because, you know, that's how it is for years. And in, um, you know, My Monsters, we get a great, we at least get a good um, storyline that shows you what, um, how bad the Mandarin can be. But because like, because even though the Mandarin, he's got his rings that um, can warp reality and manipulate um, people's minds, his worst feature is that, you know, he wants things done his way all the way, all the time. So that when he um, captures a uh, famous, famed Chinese filmmaker to um, film the story of his life, um, the Mandarin doesn't let him, doesn't let this guy do his, doesn't let, doesn't let this guy be a filmmaker. He micromanages um, his, this guy into being, to telling, telling the Mandarin story his way. And, you know, just, just seeing him do that, it's kind of like, it's, it's almost like a metaphor for you know um, editorial macromanagement in comics, which you know it, if you look if you um, read any like comic story recently, you can just look at um, DC, what's going on with DC's um, um, editorial mac macromanagement with um, action comics and any of the other like you know, stuff where you've read that oh hey we got this new writer coming in oh wait he's been replaced because we didn't like the way he was going or you know we've got found someone who can do it better and that, that's that's kind of ridiculous and it's and like this. This particular story is, um, as as the filmmaker tries to like rebel in his own way, is is really is very compelling and thoroughly worthwhile. And that's, and you also got another like other stories in Mind Monsters that show you know Tony giving his own history, coming to terms with the fact that he slept with Pepper Potts and doesn't remember it at all, and also um, you know him teaming up with Spider Man in order to um, take down a uh, a threat that he he forgot that he even created. So, but then after that, you get to what is hands down the worst storyline, like in the run. That is um, unfixable, where um, we find out that where we get where um, Doctor Octopus um, gets the uh, like um, comes to Tony Stark saying, "Hey, you know, I'm dying of cancer, and um, I need you to admit that I'm an unfixable problem that you that you, with all your intellect and all our history together, you cannot fix." And Tony Stark going, "Or else, oh." oh or else I will blow up this um, city with like our 12 kiloton megaton bomb. And Tony basically um, saying, trying to reason with him, but ultimately realizing that, okay, you you can't do this. I can't do this. And then um, like um, Octo Dr. Dr. Octopus going, oh, okay, in that case, call me master and I will um, I will not detonate the bomb. And Tony Stark basically like admits his, basically becomes a Dr. Octopus's bitch and um, for, for a couple pages and um, then octopus is like, oh yeah, I never really had a bomb. <laughs> Toodles. So it's so just you know, a minute just seeing this this like Tony that like, just become like this villain bitch was a complete black mark on the uh, on the character, and I was kind of like, realized that you know this is 
okay, we've got like the character's like best days behind him because you know what because you know like I mean like, what what good could you have just by by, by, by putting this like this this war, this horrible defeat on this character's um, resume? I mean, like the hero superheroes are supposed to ultimately win at the uh, at the end of the day, and if they don't, then at least there's going to be a really damn good reason. There wasn't here, and I thought it was the worst um, story I read last year. And at the same time, though, I kind of figured that you know, at the same that that, that um that um the best days in the Fraction LaRocca run were behind them. Then I mean, like, yeah, you had the fear itself tie-in where Tony um basically forsakes his um sobriety in order to um get the um get the go-ahead from Odin in order to craft the weapons that our heroes need to win against with near heroes to win the crossover. But at the same time, you know, it wouldn't be hard to um, create a story that was better than unfixable. So, but then, as everyone here who's who's read my um, read the post on the blogs will know that uh, we get to Demon, and um, then something weird happened. Like um, we actually like like um, Fraction actually gets his momentum back. Um, um, Demon is basically the, the um, basically like the their take on the whole you know, Iron Man like um because Ezekiel's scene has teamed up with the Mandarin at this point as well as the Hammer Sisters as well the Hammer Mother Daughter as well, and they've got um, and so like you know they're working together to take out the bad guys, you know, to take out Tony Stark. But at the same time though, on the Mandarin is also just you know like exerting his own you know, micromanagement against against Stink who's working for him. And uh, you know, seeing Stain suffer at the hands of the Mandarin, basically, um, managed to create this bit of like um great, you know, Schadenfreude, you know, like like joy at the misfortune of, of others. Seeing seeing um Stain suffer basically added a nice dimension to his character. That actually, generated like you know sympathy for him that I wasn't expected to feel at any time. So you've got so there was that, and um, so I was looking, so I was. And then you've all, but also it's the storyline that basically has um, them pumping up Iron Man's villains. You've got the whole, you know, the um, the, the heroes' villains um, come back um, better, bigger, and better, and forward to take him out. And um, and it ended with um, you know, with with the supposed death of his of his best bud um, and War Machine, um, Jim Rhodes. But at the same time, though, um, we realized it was revealed that oh, it wasn't he wasn't actually dead. Like um, this is also part of um, Tony's um, big plan to um turn the tables on Stain the Mandarin. That continues in through um, Long Way Down, which um, which culminates in which basically has um Tony Stark um, in public, you know, or not really in public, basically effectively giving up his being the being Iron Man to um to the U.S. government, but also just, but it's done in a way in the sense that you know you've got uh, the, the Tony Stark has a plan and he's got. And he's got this. He's got all this shit on lockdown. Even at the very end, when when Mandarin pulls the whole like, oh, I'm gonna make Tony Stark my bitch again, you're still with the feeling that oh, hey, Tony Stark has a plan. We're gonna see this plan, how this plan plays out in the future. So, crux of this review basically um, comes down to the fact that I actually shelled out for the uh, hardcover edition of the future um, Fraction of LaRocca's final final runs. Normally, I would not do that. I would just wait until it came out in paperback in July. But hey, you know we've got a uh, got a podcast to do, and like I figure everyone here deserves to know what I thought about the whole run. And so we've got that that final volume. And so does Tony Stark's plan play out exactly as you expect it would? Is it like as thoroughly entertaining as you'd expect? Kinda. So we've got um, 
basically, this, both of the storyline basically has Tony um, working in Mandarin City, um, basically building the Titanomex that will house the intelligences behind the Mandarin's rings. And, you know, it's... it's but, you know, it, but um, he's also got his own plan as well. He's working with uh, brain-damaged Ezekiel Stain and also trying to flip as many of his, of his former rogues gallery as he can into working for him. So on the one hand, at the same time, one hand, it's it's entertaining enough to see the um, see Tony Stark, you know, like uh, you know, like finally finally get the upper hand, but but it's also kind of like you know, it's it does feel kind of like you know, poor formula, like, like like fraction. It's just kind of like you know, okay, you know, this is the point where our hero, you know, has to win against the bad guys, so we're gonna go ahead and do it, do that right now. I mean, there wasn't really any real ingenuity beyond the fact that you know, hey, you know, whenever Tony Stark is pushed into a bad place. He will go into a cave, build a new Iron Man suit, and get his way out of things. I mean, that's. It is kind of like the uh, the feeling that, that a lot of that a lot of this run has. I mean, like it shows you shows you Tony Stark's. Um, I mean, like it does showcase a lot of Tony Stark's own like self self destructive nature, but at the same time though, that he's not the kind of character who is just going to like, you know give up. He's going to. It's 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 kind of like the whole like you know you know God real you know that God could um. If God is all powerful, could he build? Could he um, make a sandwich that even he couldn't eat? Um, the, the answer being, uh, well, yes, he could. But he'd go and eat it anyway. So, so I mean, that's kind of like with that's kind of how it is with with Tony Stark, and um, he, like, no matter what what circumstance he was faced with, he will always find a way out of things, no matter how no matter how bad his self destructive impulses get. I mean, so even when when he's focused, when he realizes that he can't um, destroy himself anymore, he will find a way find a way out of things. So, I mean, at the same time, though, it's, like I said, this, the back half of the Fraction LaRocca run, and to be honest, though, um, um, the, the art, I mean, from, from LaRocca is, is consistently good throughout. It gets better as it goes along because he starts, stops being the, uh, stops, like, heavily photo-referencing the movie, and Fraction, you know, to be honest, like, at his best, you know, he, he's, he's a consistently witty writer, and there are parts of part, lots of parts of the story where I can, where I read, I can read his dialogue and I think it's great. I think I, I can, I am, I can really imagine like you know, I'm Robert Downey Jr. just saying what he, what I can hear Robert Downey Jr.'s voice on the page, um, just you know, talking about this stuff. So it's so on one hand, I mean like it's it's not a bad run. I mean it it um, wraps up in a uh, you know, hey, we got to go and put the toys away and you know, set things up for the next. The next writer, Kieran Gillen, who I'm looking forward to reading. But at the same time, though, it's like it's kind of like it's just kind of like, it's it's just like he's like, you know, treating this as business as usual. I mean, like Fraction has always been a writer who, who excels when he's like you know when he's working on characters who aren't uh, you know um, under the A-list glare like um, it's like like Hawkeye and um, and um, and Iron Fist and also with his own creator own series um, Casanova with um, Iron Man. I mean he. He does a good job capturing the, the wit, like the wit, the arrogance, and the personality of Tony Stark. But the overall storyline, though, well, like I said, the first four volumes are are thoroughly worth reading. Best as artifacts of the um, of the initiative and um, dark and the dark reign era. Everything else is kind of like, well, you know, it's like it's it's a nice parabolic run you know, in the sense that it goes goes down, then goes up, then you know, crests slightly again before, you know, finishing off. So, overall, the Fractional Worker run, you know, generally entertaining, but, you know, it's like I keep, 
I get the feeling that, you know, like there's, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's quite definitive. There are, there is potential for people to do better things out there. And I, I would love to see, um, let's see that realized with, um, Kieran, Kieran Gillen's run, because I've loved everything that Kieran Gillen has run, has done with Marvel. And I look forward to seeing, seeing that at some point as well. So, of course, though, you know, if you're looking forward to, um, to the, to the movie, the best, the best point of reference is Warren Ellis and Abby Granov's um, extreme storyline. So, all of that rambling being said, um, John, so, any particular thoughts on this? Not really. Um, sounds like an a, a, a good average series to read. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, all, yeah, it's true. It's like, and also, it's worth noting that, you know, that um, LaRocca is also one of the um, few Marvel artists who can maintain a monthly pace. It's like, just because with the exception of My Monsters, um, every volume in this series um, basically features art from him on the main, on, like on the main stories. So, I mean, it's like, it's, it, so it's really for a great, I mean, the consistency of the series, the series maintained with writer, with regards to its writer and artist is, you know, I'd, I'd love to see this maintained with other series, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's overall, it's a, it's overall not bad. It's a, like I said, it's one of the few series that um, like I said, maintains a creative consistent consi- consistent creative team, but at the same time, you know, it's like it's also um, very uneven for the like um, for for the back half of its run. So, you know, there you go. All right. Well, do you have any idea what you're gonna talk about next time? <laughs> no, no clue. In fact, I don't, know. I don't know. It's like I'm sure I'll find something, but you know, it's like it's. It, it's a mystery to me right now. All right. It's a mystery, ladies and gentlemen. All right. And we'll talk to you next time on Comic Picks by the Glade. Laters.